2: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to New Books and Middle Eastern Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Christopher Rose. If you're familiar at all with female singers from the Middle East, you're probably familiar with the so called greats, Asmahan. Beirouz, Gugush and the incomparable Um Kulsum from Egypt. My guest today has taken a new look at an emerging art form in the Middle East, one that one doesn't necessarily associate with empowered messages and Muslim women, hip-hop. Hip-hop culture has been widely acknowledged as a global cultural phenomenon, but little attention has been given to women's participation in hip-hop culture in non-U.S. contexts. Hip-hop harem by Angela Williams, Associate Director at the Center for South Asian and Middle Eastern Studies at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, explores the work of seven prominent female rappers from the region. Through the lens of hip-hop feminism, she seeks to express how the artist's work affects female audience members who relate to the themes of self-determination and liberation expressed in the music within their own lives. This book turns the popular imagery of the harem on its head. In likely hip-hop fashion, as the artists speak back to voices of male dominance and a power structure that has sought to define them and the region. Angela is an old friend of mine, and it was great to get, finally get to talk to her about her new book and her research. Here's my interview. Angela Williams, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you, Chris. It's so nice to be here. Uh, our traditional first question is about you, uh, Tell us uh, about your background, uh, your academic experience, and and what led you in the direction of this project. And of course, I'm very curious because you and I have similar backgrounds, and that we both worked for a long time in, in university administration before going to get our PhDs. So I'm I'm really curious to hear your story.
3: Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. I'm gonna talk a little bit about my personal and then academic background that led me to this work. So I was raised in rural Illinois and went to a school district where we were mostly well, we were the only mixed race family oftentimes, the only non white family in the district. My mom is white and from a farming family, and my dad is African American from Chicago's South Side, born in Mississippi to a sharecropping family who came to Chicago during the Great Migration. So just because of my own experience, I've always been sensitive to, to what it means to be, like a quote, other. And when I graduated high school, yeah, I was working full-time at an office job. I didn't even want to go to college. And I worked for a couple of years. I just thought, I've got a job, what I need to go to school for. Um, but I did end up going to college, to a college called Goshen College in Northern Indiana. And I didn't even know what to study. Uh, but I took some Bible and religion and philosophy classes, and ended up transferring to UIUC and majoring in linguistics. And I've always enjoyed language study, and, and maybe like you too. Um, kind of my intro to the region was through language study, and I find language study similar to religious study because both are dealing with signs and meaning. And and so I was studying Arabic, and shortly after the U.S. invasion of Iraq, again, when a lot of Americans started studying Arabic, and there was uh, funding to do so. And I went to Egypt on a fellowship, and there I met people from various parts of society, you know, um, the people at the American University in Cairo, all the way to people who were driving us to the university and to our dorms every day, and, and, and spoke with them and and just saw the diversity of, of society there. Um, and I went to a concert, uh, and this group was rapping on the stage, and I met a few of the artists afterwards, and that really impressed me. So when I came back to the U.S. and I went to graduate school linguistics, I just didn't feel like that was a good fit, but I did end up up writing a piece on code switching English and Arabic and Egyptian hip-hop, which became my MA thesis, and I started working at the Center for South Asian Middle Eastern Studies in their outreach position because I really wanted to spread awareness about whatever I'd learned about the region to the rest of American students. Um, And... After a couple of years of that, just decided to pursue doctoral studies again, um, hoping that whatever knowledge I could bring
4: um,
3: could, again, enlighten more, more people in the U.S. about the region. And I was thinking about a topic I didn't know for a couple of years. And it was actually my advisor, thankfully, Dr. Cameron McCarthy, who suggested I go back to that MA thesis. And I just started searching around on what was happening online with research around hip hop in the middle east north africa region and by that time you may remember that we'd seen films like slingshot hip-hop by jackie salome which profiled palestinian artists i love hip-hop in morocco and so there were a couple of films already out and i just stumbled on these videos on youtube uh the recordings of a competition show of arabs got talent and i saw the egyptian artist Mayan mahmoud at the time just 19 year old student rapping on stage in this song that was a call for equal protection of women under the law from harassment and abuse. And, and it was so bold and inspiring. I just started to look more. I thought, are there more artists? and came across more art- artists online and thought, why not? You know, women who are rapping in this region of the world talking about their experiences. And I, I floated it by my advisor and thankfully he agreed that it belonged in education. And, you know, I could, I could write about sort of education and knowledge production. Um, from a lens of hip hop, the women uh, rapping
2: yeah, and uh we'll we'll come back to 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 that uh, critique of knowledge production uh at, toward the end of the interview uh, I, I want to start up, uh both with your title um and then your introduction, which refers to it, the title of course being hip hop harem um and your introduction. Overturning the harem, um, and you use this this image of the harem as a point of departure to describe your project. And I thought, I thought this is a really interesting uh, way to open uh, your book. So, could could you talk more about this this sort of juxtaposition of language that you are using here, and and specifically what brought you to to, to the study of these women and their performance?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so. The image, as you're saying, and the idea, what we think of as harem life is, is such a provocative representation, I think. And to me, it's sort of a culminating symbol of the misrepresentation and misunderstanding of the region, women especially. And we have these French painters who painted scenes of harem, harem life, and those served to exoticize the region. And so for me, coming from education and also thinking about my own studies and the courses and content around Middle East studies, um, I was just very much concerned about how it is that we come to know what we know. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I wanted to reclaim that word harem. Um, and I chose the title because, again, yeah, this fascination of women's lives, um, uh, particularly displayed in 19th and 20th century European travel logs and art. And the idea within hip hop studies, scholars have talked about script flipping, which is this practice of verbally one upping your opponent. Mm-hmm. So you use the word and turn it around you flip the script to something uh, more meaningful, redefining the term. So I wanted to think about, use this feature of script flipping to think about harem and redefining it as not an exotic space, but a place, a space where, uh hip hop is dominating and, and women's expressions is normalized within this region. I guess a little bit further too, I wanted to in reclaiming the word harem to really focus on a women, woman-centered perspective and space and uh reversing the gaze. I know scholars have talked about, you know, the gaze, reversing the gaze and uh, and so and focusing on women who are looking back. And, and in other words, also I'm saying that these artists within their songs and their lyrics, they know what they're doing and they, they know what they're up mm-hmm. against. They're very conscious of the problems um, that they're facing in their everyday lives. Um, and it's not that they're saying, we no longer want to be Egyptian. We no longer want to be, like you know, we want to be something else, different, totally. Um, they, no, they know what's going on in their spaces and they're comfortable with their, you know, identities in their countries um but they're just talking about issues they they deal with and making a space for that expression and demands for change so to me that's a very different <laughs> kind of space to think of uh to imagine um it, 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 yeah a very different kind of space to imagine of, of what harem could be like right
2: Um, it's interesting that, that you, you talk about not only, uh, knowledge production, but where, where we get that image of each other from. Um, I remember when I was, uh, in, in my job and we hosted a writer from Egypt and someone asked her, you know, what her impression of, of Texas was. And she says, well, it's not violent like I thought it would be. And then proceeded to explain that, you know, her image of what America was like came from the television. And of course, uh, you know, they have all of the law and order and, you know, crime shows, which basically make it seem like you're running the risk of having your life taken if you go to this corner store, you know. And so it was just one of those really interesting moments about, you know, putting into mind where it is that we we start to develop these pictures. um, Because, you know, hip hop probably isn't the first thing that a lot of our readers are going to think of when they think of contemporary performance uh in the middle east especially by women um you know but you argue that there are these strong commonalities between the origins of hip-hop in and which as you point out you know came, derived from u.s based african caribbean uh Latino x culture um and this subsequent rise of a global hip-hop culture in particular uh hip-hop feminism um, so can you, t- by the way, this is just a fascinating chapter to read in an academic book, <laughs> um, because it's um, uh, I, I, one of the things that I think really struck me about this section was uh, this would be such a great model to give to an advanced undergraduate who is struggling with what methodology is, uh, because I think you do such a good job of of just laying out how all of these things inform your work. So I, can you talk more about how hip hop has been translated? and adapt it into different contexts?
3: Yes, thank you so much. Um, it's such a great question. Um, and I think all studies of global hip hop, and there has been a good amount, like Europe, Asia, Africa, um, it's always important. And I, what I like to see is to have like a basis of an understanding of the origins of hip hop mm-hmm. in the US. Um, and to me, the most complete work is done by Trisha Rose who wrote Black Noise in 1994 and Hip Hop Wars in 2013. Um, both of those talk about uh, the former hip hop roots, and the hip hop wars. Wars is more on deals more with the commercialization of, of U.S. hip hop, mm-hmm. and to me, it's about a performance. Oftentimes, but also about people's lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've seen and listeners have seen Straight Outta Compton, for instance, mm-hmm. N.W.A.'s reality raps, where they're dealing specifically with everyday issues of violence, often police brutality that were those artists' experiences. So so rap music and hip-hop culture has been dubbed this resistance of music whenever we're talking about it globally, oftentimes. Um, And its appropriation in other cultures is often seen in the use of local language, uh, perhaps uh, um, local language varieties, colloquial languages used, and the discussion of local issues. And hip-hop feminism deals with the representation of women in hip hop and how those representations are received or reworked by other women. So by listeners, how are people seeing themselves in those lyrics or and talking about other women using those same words perhaps? Um, and hip hop feminism has been concerned with, yeah, the safety of black and brown and marginalized bodies. So I wanted, I saw this work, um, or, or hip hop feminism as a basis for, for what I wanted to you know, uh, as a frame for what the the artist I was looking at um, was doing. And just a little bit further on U.S. third world feminism, which I saw hip-hop feminism as sort of an offshoot of U.S. third world feminism, which was, yeah, studied um, and written about by Chela Sandoval. She talks about an oppositional consciousness, and not one, but oppositional consciousnesses, mouthful. And this oppositional consciousness, it doesn't necessarily need to be quote feminist in nature. Rather, Mm -hmm. it's like a history of consciousness as it represents links and experiences and struggles of people um, within a specific context or cultural region. And I thought of the context as being Middle East region. And she just further explains, you know, that it represents these varied experiences of struggle exerted against, uh, exerted on, by by racial, economic, and cultural hierarchies here in the U.S. And she said, there's a variety of ways for women to exhibit this opposition and this consciousness. So I took that to mean, well, for some, it might be to wear a scarf. For others, it might be to not wear a scarf. It's just um, an an acknowledgement of a multiplicity of of practices uh, to be oppositional. So, when I did those readings, you know, and then I would go and listen to the music and watch what the artists were doing. I, I just saw, um, to to me, it made sense, or to me, you know, they, they related. And I, I felt like, yeah, this is kind of like US third world feminism. Um, some some of the artists songs are talking about being a mother. Art, Iranian artist Justina has a song about, oh, I wish I had a daughter, because I would teach her all, you know, about what a woman could be. Whereas another artist, uh, Amani Yahya from Yemen, she was talking about, yeah, a woman can do whatever she wants to do. She doesn't have to be just a teacher or a mother. I mean, she can do whatever she wants to do. So yeah, just the idea of a a variety, multiplicity of roles and possibilities available to women. You also argue,
2: and I I thought this was also fascinating, that there is a post-colonial aspect to global hip-hop culture Could you talk a little bit more about
3: that? Sure. And this is also thanks to my advisors and professors, Cameron McCarthy and Pradeep Dillon, who who advised me on the project. Their work led me to think, excuse me, their work led me to think about the U.S. as a post-colonial context and hip-hop as a post-colonial aesthetic. And my understanding of post-colonial theory is that it describes related set of ideas about knowledge, power, culture, and identity. And these ideas themselves might be contradictory. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. yeah, also the work of McCarthy and Demetriades described these three motifs to define the post-colonial aesthetic, which are counter-hegemic, representation, double or triple coding and emancipatory or utopic visions. And again, I saw all of these in the work of the the artists. So according to McCarthy, post-colonial artists, quote, challenge the ways the colonial imagination has sought to constrain third world subjects in reductive and simplistic discourses of racial and national origin. So I see global hip hop is doing this, creating spaces, for emancipatory visions, creating multiple layers of, of meaning, and others have referred to it as anti-colonial to describe these artists and the music. Um, and I, I didn't really think of that terminology. To me, I just had read literature on post-colonial theory, and, and that made sense to me.
2: So, uh, no pun intended, but we've we've danced around uh, this uh, now uh, for for two or three questions. So, uh, let's turn now to the to the uh, seven artists that you. Uh, uses the basis uh, of the book. Uh, So tell us more about them.
3: Yeah, sure. So these artists, each one of them have their own experiences and unique stories. And I did devote some space in the book just to profile each one shortly. Um, They've all performed in their own countries and oftentimes collaborated with other artists in their countries or in the region. Several of them have performed outside, um, traveled internationally internationally. So I will just uh, want to name each one of them. Shadia Mansour is a, a UK, London-based artist of Palestinian descent. Malika is a, an artist of Lebanese descent. Sultana is a Moroccan artist. Soska is from Egypt, as well as mayan Mahmoud is from Egypt. And Amani Yahya is an artist from Yemen. And Justina is from Iran. Um, I just want to say real quick, I had the pleasure to be on uh, a panel last week with Amani Yahya, who is a part of a now an all-female group called Indikna, Mm -hmm. I-N-D-K-N-A. And they are doing more like traditional Yemeni music. Um, Mm -hmm. So she was clear that she, uh, you know, she didn't want to be pigeonholed uh, as just like a, a, a rapper you know, she's, and that's why I kind of try to refer to them, all the artists, oftentimes as artists, because again, they may change in their style of music. I know Justina from Iran as well, also um, sings. um, And Shadi Mansour also sings often. But but at one point, they were all referring to themselves as rappers. So that's why Mm -hmm. I, you know, um, and all of their biographies and music speak to cosmopolitanism, lifestyles and awareness, even if they never traveled outside of the country. So, for instance, Shadia Mansour and Malika, um, they've had experiences in Europe, traveled and Malika has was actually born in France, but not raised there. And Shadia was uh, born and raised in London. Um, Sultanas had early experiences with hip-hop at an American language school in Morocco. Mm-hmm. And Another experience that I just drawn from Soska, who's an Egyptian rapper, names U.S. rapper 50 Cent in one of her songs Mm -hmm. as part of her own sort of claim of identity, saying, like, I'm not 50 Cent, you know. (laughs) So they all have an awareness of, I'd say, you know, some kind of global pop culture or having traveled. Um, And also Maya Mahmoud and Amani and Justina all have sampled music from U.S. artists or cite them as being inspirations. Um, I, I, I want to refer readers to the book to read a little bit about each one of them, or if, if you're not able even to get the book, people can just kind of hear their their names um, and, and look them up online. Um, but yeah, it's just this idea of the cosmopolitan awareness of artists um, can also put them in touch with post-colonial struggles and other places. So for instance, Shadi Mansour, has collaborated with the Chilean French rapper Anna Tiju on a mm-hmm. song titled Somos Sur, We Are the South. Um, and each artist raps about post-colonial struggle in Chile and Palestine using Spanish and Arabic. Um, also, Sultana has collaborated with female artists in Senegal and Mauritania. And Mayam and Amani have collaborated with other, other Arab artists. But I, 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 in each of their biographies, I see how... Their lives um, and their own creative practices dismantle Orientalist claims that divide the region from the rest of the world that say, that's that over there, the Middle East over there, you know, we're the rest there, but that, um, they, yeah, their own, their very lived experiences, um, negate that, you know,
0: this episode is brought to you by sax.com.
2: So, of course, uh, the follow up question uh, is how these artists have been received, because um, obviously you go into uh, the discussion of of their lyrics talking about their own struggles as uh, members of postcolonial societies, as women in Middle Eastern societies and so on. So um, how how has this music been received both uh, in their home countries and then also internationally?
3: Mm-hmm. It's a great question. So of all the seven artists that I looked at, and I chose those seven purposefully, um, there was a website that had almost a 100 Arab female rappers listed on it. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually chose these seven because they had uh, themes in their music that specifically talked about being a woman or girl um, in their own countries. Um, and and then all of them had been featured in media in their own countries, whether it were was um, talk shows or performing um, at in competition shows in the region, or performing in live concerts so when I think of talk shows in egypt i mean i just I feel like the talk show genre is so vibrant in egypt. people are mm-hmm. uh, you know they talk about so many different issues. Um, so the Egyptian artists were on those and also the Iranian artists as well. I found a talk show she was on online. Um, and so I felt that they were known, you know, in their, in their home countries and also had some kind of following, if not, um, perhaps globally. Um, how popular are they? You know, I think that each was trying to kind of grow in her own, uh, grow her own space, uh, the most prominent artist is Shadia Mansour
4: mm-hmm.
3: and Malika as well and Sultana were the three, I'd say, kind of veteran artists. Um, and I oftentimes looked for questions, this answered these questions in, in interviews I read with them and how the, the journalists would ask about their family, you know, is, is their family supportive, um, what kind of backlash they've received. And again, and all of the cases that I read, all of their family was maybe a little concerned at the beginning, but then really supportive about, um, what she was doing. Um, Amani Yahya, um, she's very open, um, in saying that she received, you know, threats to her life
4: mm-hmm. and she
3: no longer lives in Yemen. She's in the U.S. now. Oh, um, oh. yeah. yeah, And, but within the international community, again, they've been widely accepted and supported. Oxfam, for instance, did a, a collaborative project with Mayam and Amani, that's an Egyptian, and the Yemeni artists and a, a couple other male artists from the region. They went to a refugee camp in Jordan and recorded a song there about, um it was called Free Woman, Imrat Hora. Mm, and... Okay again, sort of these uh, messages of, of all that a, a woman can be. So I think that, and also the Lincoln Center uh, hosted Amani Yehya, Um And Sultana has also participated in uh, various programs at U.S. universities, I think, sponsored perhaps by the State Department. Um, so it's, it's how they're being received um is is varied, but it, but internationally, you know, positively.
2: You you you've answered this uh, partially, but I just have to ask out of curiosity if you've had the chance to meet uh, any of them.
3: Oh, that's a great question. I did not get the chance to meet any of them. I had not personally face to face. So when I started writing this back in two thousand sixteen, so it's you know, I consider it a pretty dated. He's, you know when you think about popular culture um, and each one is changing and she's changing her, her presentation and changing her style you know all the time. I did reach out to all of them on social media or through email and I did hear back from all but two um, and I just let them know what I was doing and, and you know ask, could I send some interview questions? Uh, but I didn't hear back. When when the publication of the book came out, actually, a couple artists, though, did review their profile. They're like the part of the chapter that I wrote about them. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. And they were, you know, they seemed happy about it. Um, but even, yeah, last week of the yeah, yeah, I don't know that it's even um, <laughs> new. <laughs> new um, yeah, I would love to send her the book. It's just, um, I'm not on Instagram. And a lot of times people are, I find moving and navigating through Instagram or Twitter. Um, So that might be a thing I need to, to get with, but I would love to, to um, sit and, I mean, to talk with them. One, I was WhatsApping with when I was writing and she was trying to come to the U S to study music. Oh, I think that that just might speak to the, this whole idea of what I'm talking about and kind of, who speaks for the region and perhaps just my name uh, being what it is could have been a turnoff perhaps. I don't know. Maybe I was looking like a nosy American snooping around, but I really just wanted to bring more awareness to to her work, to their work um, and and their music and let them know that it was really inspirational. And um, yeah. So I hope in the future, if there's any way, or if any of them hear this podcast, I would love to talk to you. Love to send you a book. I have a book with your name on it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, we could. I'd love to hear your feedback. Yep. Mm-hmm. Moving
2: on in the book, uh, you you um, you analyze uh, the themes that, that, that uh, appear in a number of, of uh, the artists' tracks, and um, the the two predominant ones that you identify uh, on the artist side are those of women's liberation uh, and women's agency. And then you also identify themes that are perceived by their their audiences, which include issues like sexual harassment, uh, social pressures, and expectations. And also, um, and I thought this one was was really interesting, uh, the preservation of cultural heritage. Um, So could you talk more about these? And and as you described this chapter, uh, why... This particular medium allows uh, these artists, uh, these women to express themselves in ways that they might not otherwise be able to do so. And I mean this both in terms of their gender as well as politically.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. So the two predominantly themes, that, as you mentioned, that I saw all of their work sort of Rotating around are, are, that of liberation. And I saw that as liberation from legal and social codes that have harmed women more than protect them. So mm-hmm. pressures, social pressures uh, about her behavior, what to do, reputation. excuse me, reputation, um, was a word, um, that some of my audience members who listened to the music said she could, they could identify with, um, yeah, we, you don't want to look like you can't stay out late at night people might think, you know, um, and also just, yeah, legal codes um, have around her, what she needs to wear or um, what she can and, and cannot do. Um, and women, yeah, the artists just showed that they're, you know, aware of those and, and want those to be changed. And also the other theme was agency and that just deals with her ability and, and the right for women to choose actions um, to take uh, about their own lives, whether it's their education or careers, or personal life or family. Um, and the other, another idea of cultural preservation. Yes, I saw that especially in the work of Shadia Mansour, the, our Palestinian artist, who always in public wears a Palestinian thobe when she when she performs on stage. And so she's performed in the U.S. and, and throughout Europe. Um, and I think that, and she actually even has a song about the kufiya, the black and white checkered scarf, um, says, saying, you know, claiming this, the garment, uh, as a symbol of Arab identity or Palestinian liberation. Um, and I saw in other artists as well, again, idea of cultural preservation, um, just an idea of who they are, um, just just a proclamation to s- confirm their own country. So Soska, uh-huh. for instance, Soska, at the time she was wearing a hijab. I don't think she does today. But in one of her songs was, uh, her song was Bent Masriya, Bent Masriya. And the I'm, You know, she'd be like, I'm Egyptian girl. I'm an Egyptian girl. I don't put gel in my hair you know, <laughs> make it curly, you know, um, this is what I look like. I don't dress in American clothes. Um, so it was the idea of, yeah, even though I'm wrapping this, this seemingly foreign form, you know, I'm like, I am who I am. I'm proud of being who I am. Um, and yeah, Justina as well. In all of her videos, she would usually wear a hood. Maybe she would have a hoodie on or a big coat with a hood and she would have her hood up. Um,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and, 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 I don't know, in my way, in my understanding, perhaps just respecting that part of, um, yeah, of, of dress of Iran, but also speaking against it a bit in her lyrics too showing a, a young girl getting a scarf on her 13th birthday and, and the girl just being really distraught and sad. Um, so again, it's not um sort of not not an amalgamation or like a any kind of a disappearance of who of, of their own culture but i felt like they were trying to preserve their own um sense of self you know within this field or within um yeah the community if you even think about like global hip-hop community
2: i one of the things that that i thought about when i, when I was reading this chapter is that it kind of reminded me about um and of course, this uh, is so early 20th century Arab intellectual history, which uh, is my advisor's influence. But we're all of these arguments about Turath, you know, uh, what, what is authentic heritage, you know, and who gets to claim it? And, and I almost felt like um, that was what was going on here, um, is, is that these women were basically saying, hey, I get to claim and define what my heritage is, too.
3: That's excellent. I love that. Yeah, excellent. I mean, that's that's spot on. I wish I had known that literature or yeah, included that. I think yeah, that's it. <laughs> there, mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot of it, so <laughs> be careful. <waiting> yeah, <laughs> <put this> <laughs> Just
3: going into rabbit holes.
2: <laughs> um, but in terms of you know, sort of giving. uh, um, being able to, to capture an audience and to say these things publicly. I mean, as you're pointing out, you know, Justina is wearing a hoodie instead of maybe necessarily a Chador. So she's meeting the spirit of the law, not necessarily the letter of, you know, Iran's dress code, um, you know, but she's also then able to speak out about it uh, while adhering to it literally. So, um, so, so again, this is one of the, the the reasons why I was wondering about how it is to that th- This medium, which is already kind of a new introduction into the Arab world, um, lets these messages get out or be received in, in new and different ways.
3: Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great point and question. And I'm going to draw back to our, our our Iranian artist, Justina, again, in her interview um, in this Persian online talk show. She explained her understanding of this. And she said that when rap first originated, the music was mostly created in protest, she said, and later other topics and genres of rap emerged, such as party rap and lyrics mm-hmm. that dealt with topics like drugs and sexuality. Mm-hmm. But she thinks that when rap music first began emerging in Iran, the artists didn't have a proper understanding about the history and development of rap in the, in the U.S., rap and hip-hop in the U.S., and she sees rap as a style without limits and borders. So the artist can say what she wants. And for me, just when you think about it logistically, too, I mean, you can say a lot more words between beats mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, that then you could, it's however you, the speed you can deliver it or however you want to speak that then you could singing too. um, you know, and she just, she also relates. Um, this to Iran's poetic tradition, which included ancient poets who used to use some strong and condemning words, even against the rulers. Um,
4: right.
3: So she saw her work sort of as a continuation of that. And in the U.S., she said artists may be talking about drugs and sexual identity and their experiences, but rappers should be thinking and speaking about what is influencing in them, what's happening in their daily lives um, So I just thought that was such a beautiful understanding and way to do that. And I want to point out too, yeah, today when I Google her, I might see clips of her singing kind of more pop music and, you know, she doesn't have the, the hoodie anymore looking, you know, very stylish in other ways. But um still, I, I believe she's still in the country and, and still finding ways to perform and, and create things. Um But it just was, in her mind and natural understanding. And, and oftentimes artists would um, cite like Tupac or artists that may be a little more conscious U um, S artists that may have um, more consciousness that, um, related to them. Um, so it was to them, it, it made sense or it was a natural uh, form. Yeah. It, they weren't relating so much to, I think, what we know of as commercialized hip-hop today. yeah. Your
2: last chapter uh, goes back to a point you mentioned earlier and I said we were going to get to. Uh, It begins with a critique of of the Western Academy. Um, And I won't lie, I had a moment of of mentally reviewing my own syllabi when when, I (laughs) read it, Um, because you're specifically talking about the issue of how women are represented Um, in knowledge production about the Middle East and North Africa, or rather, as you point out, are not represented frequently, and in particular, often not given the opportunity to speak for themselves. Um, So you've already brought it up, and I want to come back to it uh, to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about this, and also how uh, studies like this one can help us change that.
3: Mm -hmm. Thanks, Fritz. I've also reviewed your syllabi, and always appreciated them <laughs> so thank you for that i think they've been very guiding to me often so you know for this i think about edward Said and one way he described orientalism and orientalists he said are those who make a living from studying the orient so i've had conviction of my own um in the in this whole aspect as well and when i look back and think about, right, the courses that I took, um, in middle, Middle East studies, quote unquote, Middle East studies, um, which I think can sometimes, you know, be just an offshoot Orientalist study some, sometimes. Um, but there wasn't a, yeah, an abundance of work on women's representation or even the arts for that matter. I mean, this region of the world is so rich artistically when we think Mm -hmm. of, uh, art, uh, music and, and poetry, literature traditions. Um, Gilgamesh. I just, I taught this in the intro class. I mean, you know, one of the first pieces of human literature that we think of, you know, is is from this region. Um, And we oftentimes, that just doesn't show up in our coursework because we're so focused on the quote, like the modern uh, conflicts or political issues happening. Um, And so, so, yeah, I came back around to knowledge production and thinking about how teachers could use this work, because that's sort of why I went into education in the first place. It came mm-hmm. out of my work as an outreach coordinator. I never and have never still been a classroom teacher, but I knew that uh, education matters so much. And what happens in our, our classes in middle school and, and all of our K through 12, it matters so much, I think, to the rest of our lives and um Sometimes by the time students get to college, they already have, right, a formated, formulated idea of, of how the world is and things. Um, so I always wanted to write something or do something to to assist teachers more, um, and I thought if I could have written a curriculum, um, that would have been, yeah, to me, that would have been really useful for that last section. And that's, but I, I still try to talk about the book with teachers um, and think about, Learning exercises around it, around the music, and around lyrics, um, because I think that kind of going back again to my own life story, I think that you know we all feel marginalized sometimes at some point, or there's all we all have some aspect about our own identity that we don't want others to yeah capitalize on or uh, you know uh, define about us, you know. Um, whatever that is. And I I just, I think I wish we could talk to more of our U S high school students about that, like about, yeah, how do you not want to be stereotyped? And like I was saying as a rural student, maybe students in the rural students, they can know it know how that is because people think they're a certain way or whatever. Um, and, and just relate that then and say, okay, now let's learn about, you know, (laughs) let's learn about others in that same way or try to have that that same understanding that we want people to have about us, you know, can we extend that uh, to others as well. Um, So yeah, I want to think about how to bring this more into the classroom, make it more accessible um, to teachers and uh, community college faculty and higher ed faculty as well. Mm And as I said, I think one of the things that really
2: struck me is, um, especially you know, now, now that I've sort of transitioned to being in, in, a, in a higher education classroom, is when you are trying to introduce theory uh, with advanced undergrads and, and get them to understand, you know, what theory is used for. Um, I really just, I, I, I what I was reading this I was like, I there would have been so many times this book would have been useful because. You just make it very clear. This theory says this. We see this. Here's how I'm applying it, and it's it's so it 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 it, it lacks that unnecessary obfuscation that so many academics default to. Um, you know, you know, um, and and it's just it's so accessible. So um, anybody who's listening, who teaches a methodology class, should consider uh, looking at this.
3: So, yeah, I it, oh, so. thank you so much to me. Many kudos to you on, thank
2: on that. Thank you yeah, so it was,
3: much because methodology really matters. It really matters how we get yeah. to know what we know. And if we need to tell others, yeah, that I just I, I looked at these seven artists and then I talked to eight women. Yeah. So I cannot claim everything to know everything about women in the region and women artists. This is yeah, where these these artists perspectives and these women I talked to. I think that's just. It's just so important, and it's so important to demand that even of our colleagues. I think, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Present- yeah. And, yeah, and you mm-hmm. know,
2: like I said, I, I I got that because I had a very similar experience. Um, mm-hmm. If you studied women mm-hmm. in your per- course of study, you took the woman class with the professor right. that does women, right? Um, but it right. wasn't widely integrated into the broader right. curriculum, um, right. and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it was one of those those moments where it's like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen it articulated quite that way, but yeah.
3: Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. And see, if women are in hip hop, they are everywhere. <laughs> we can right? think of it like that. Right? If they're here, well, then they are.
2: <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so our traditional final question, uh, mm-hmm. what's next
4: for, for you? Um,
2: no, thanks. Thank you. So
3: yeah, just the pandemic has just, been devastating to mm-hmm. us to our lives in so many ways and I just, yeah, always want to, yeah, acknowledge that and remember those that we've lost, you know, but being forced to do more programs online like we've mm-hmm. collaborated and we have we can draw on one another's work in ways that we were not pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, I hardly, we could never even set up a Skype for a presenter during a conference. We, we always got right. that wrong. Um, yeah. but now, you know, we're all able to do that. So, I have so many dreams and I'm always trying to do something creative, whether it's making a t-shirt or making some soap or body product, like, you know, I'm I'm doing all the kinds of things creative. But these days I'm trying to really just gear up for a new semester of programming and grant writing at the center. And I'm doing this intro to Middle East asynchronous online class this summer that I told you about um, mm-hmm. where we're covering, trying to cover around 6,000 years and eight weeks.
0: And oh, actually this week there. we're
3: looking at the arts. <laughs> exactly. We're looking at the arts this week, actually. And so I hope to see that class grow. It's got a real small enrollment right now. And to continue presenting for classes, um, presenting in, you know, for for school, high school um, classes or civic organizations if, if I'm called upon to. And um, I want to mention a recently published PDF book online titled Rebel with Rhythm, Shatter with Words, Female Rappers Smashing the Prescribed Image of the Muslim Woman, by Hilal uh, Ishik, who's a Berlin-based researcher fellow at Women Living Under Muslim Laws, WLUML Research and Publication Division. This book was just recently published last week, and um, they had a book launch, and I, I was a panelist at this book launch last week that I mentioned that was joined by Amani Yahya Yemeni artist. So the book is available at www.wluml.org for free to download. And it was just gratifying for me to see a scholar taking up this topic just, you know, a year after, uh, yeah, after I was my publication. But actually, she read my dissertation online, oh, probably shouldn't say this, but uh, she read my dissertation, which also was gratifying um, and took. Topic and, and ran with it, and talked with uh, artists um, from predominantly Muslim countries. They call them, and non she calls it, non predominantly Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, people can look at that too for free. I'm always wanting to be open to collaborate or, or just do things with art, with scholars in the U.S. or international scholars, and doing whatever I can to keep shining light, you know, on on, on these artists and. Representational work that's being done coming out of the region, you know. Um, so yeah, we will see. Yeah,
2: yeah, and of course, you know, I spent, uh, or have spent, uh, quite a bit of time, uh, doing similar work, and, um, you know, public history is still a big part of what I do, and so, um, you know, it's really important, and I don't think, um, Especially those at the university level who don't work with university students directly uh, tend not to get appreciated for the amount of effort that they put in. Um, So, uh, here is my public acknowledgement of uh, you and all of our our colleagues uh, who, who do similar work.
4: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah.
2: Angela Williams is the author of Hip Hop Harem, Women, Rap, and Representation in the Middle East. And it's available now from Peter Lang. Angela, it's been great to have you on the show.
3: Thank you so much for this opportunity, Chris. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Pleasure speaking with you. Um, Long admirer of the work that you're doing and supporter. so, So thank you so much.